Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. The first brand that you remember making an impact on you as a young guy, young boy. Oh, boy. Well, uh, it had to be a cereal brand because, you know, you, I mean, think about the great slogans uh, that you remember, you know, silly rabbit tricks are for kids, right? Lucky charms. Yeah. I mean, somehow when you're a kid and it was just consolidated watching and these cereal brands just, you remember, I mean, here I am so many years later and I still remember their slogans. Well, we weren't looking at a phone at breakfast, right? We were staring at the box. That's right. That's right. We weren't on YouTube or on a phone. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show... I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Norm DeGreve, Chief Marketing Officer of the $256 billion healthcare company, CBS Health. Brands under the CBS Health umbrella include CBS Pharmacy, CBS Caremark, Aetna, Minute Clinic, Omnicare, and many more. CBS Health is the number five company in the Fortune 500, only Walmart, Amazon, ExxonMobil, and Apple are bigger. Norm has been in the CMO role since the summer of 2015, about a year after the company made the purpose-driven decision to stop selling tobacco products in its stores. Norm is a graduate of Ithaca College and earned his MBA at Chicago Booth. He spent 14 years at Digitas, a marketing and technology agency, before coming over to CBS. He's one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, What follows is one of the most powerful discussions about purpose we've had on the CMO podcast. This is my conversation with Norm DeGreve. Welcome, Norm, to the CMO podcast. I've heard you speak several times, and the last time I heard you speak was just this October at the ANA Masters of Marketing virtual meeting, and you talked about CVS and its purpose, and I held a meeting after that with my team and said that talk was perhaps the most compelling talk about purpose I have heard. So I am so looking forward to this discussion where we're going to try to unpack some of that. I want, I'm just curious, what sort of reaction did you get to that talk inside your company and outside your company? Well, first, thanks very much, Jim, for that. I, comments like that from you mean a lot to me uh, and to others, so thank you for that. Uh, it's it's very positive reaction because I think uh, people are looking for bigger ideas around which to revolve their activities in their company, but also just in general to hook onto. And so when you can talk about doing the right thing and you can show that you're making momentum towards that movement towards that, you just you get a lot of um, support, which has been great. Yeah. So. I, I really do feel CVS Health is one of the great proof points in the power of purpose and business results. And I remember, this goes back many years, I visited your predecessor, Helena Folks, mm-hmm. way back when I was a new CMO at P&G. And I came to see her, and she was CMO at CVS at the time. And you, know, you, were, you were about 35 or $40 billion in revenue at that time. And I could tell something special was happening. It wasn't as articulated and clear as it is now. And then, and then you came on five years ago, and you were about $140 billion. Now you're like $260 billion. Mm-hmm. So could you talk us through the origin of this purpose story 
yeah. when it sort of began, how it germinated, how you describe it, how you talk about it. So just, I know it's a big, big question to start, but I'd just like you to talk a bit about the origin. Yeah, sure. So let's just start at the very beginning of CVS, CVS Pharmacy, drugstore on corners of lots of towns and cities. Uh, and there's something special about the pharmacy business. And, you know, I think um, as we all get older, we get prescriptions and you realize that you have a connection to that pharmacist. And as you get older and older, or or I'd say uh, using prescriptions more and more, you can be younger too, uh, that pharmacist becomes a really special person in your life, kind of very eye level in your community, uh, connected to you, not judging, helping you. And so that forms a culture, right? So, that, so if you really want to go back, that's the seed of this whole entire thing, because it starts a culture of eye level partnership with your customer to get better. The business grows up. It it, it, you know, we do the pharmacy thing, we get bigger and bigger and bigger, we get to 10,000 locations. Uh, and so it becomes quite a big business in the States. And then, you know, kind of at, at that point, you start to say, well, what's, what's the next vector of growth for this business? And it becomes pretty clear that the way to go is actually more into health services and into health. And what can we do with these connections we have with people to help them be help, healthier and also to build a better business? And that's when you saw the company buy Minute Clinic. It was, you know, a large chain of uh, retail walk-in clinics. And uh, and then uh, we wanted to make sure that people understood what the senior management was believing. And so when you talk about Helena, she was really a a co-architect of this thing because she wanted to make sure that that message was communicated to all the stakeholders and constituents. And that's when the idea of purpose came to life the why behind everything we do. And uh, so our purpose came out at that point. It was helping people on their path to better health. Let me talk more about that. Uh, I think there's a lot of very, it, it sounds very simple, but there's a lot of power in, the, in what that statement is and its uniqueness. And that then puts us on a path to adding additional services, whether it's home infusion services, different parts of the value chain in healthcare. So pharmacy benefits management, and uh, and so then you you keep going along, and then um, eventually we get to a point where we are participating in a bunch of parts of the value chain. We feel like it's making a difference. And by the way, as you know, and we'll talk more about, there were a lot of changes in what we did in our stores uh, along the way here. And uh, and we started to say, what's the next way, the next move we can have to really fulfill our purpose to help people on their path to better health. And that's what took us to participating in the health insurance part of the value chain, which is Aetna. And, and the reason we did that is because there are two, two things. Aetna has a tremendous amount of data about your health. You know, we, we, we all have a kind of, I think, a mixed relationship with our health insurance provider. But the a, a fact is they see all your claims. So, so actually they have the best information about your health and they have tremendous analytics about what your next best health action should be. And they really do know that. And so we we thought that would give us great information to help influence behavior. Uh, and then they also have uh, a way that they participate in the risk sharing of that. And so that's what we're putting together now, uh, which is really an integrated health services company. But it started with empathy at the core for, for customers, being there as their partner on their path to better health. It was then energized by a purpose and then a number of moves along the way that demonstrated that wasn't just a, a you know, a nice writing on the wall. It was actually something we cared about. So with this incredible um, origin and then the growth that's happened since then, and especially recently, I mean, Aetna was two years ago. How, how do you keep this purpose front and center as you have grown so much in scale, scope, breadth, people? Uh, that's, that's where it often falls apart, as you and I both know. So how in the world, what are your tips, what are your strategies, yeah. what are your rituals to keep this purpose so fresh and front and center as you've scaled? Well, when you go back to when we started the purpose, and as you know, it, was, it, was, uh, it happened at the same time that we decided to get out of tobacco uh, and as a demonstration of our commitment to that purpose. And one thing I'd say is if you just start there, just having a big, meaningful demonstration of your commitment to your purpose does communicate to everybody in the organization that this is real, 
This is not just uh, an idea. And that and was I, what, six, seven years ago, Norm? That was 2014, so just six mm-hmm. years ago, yeah. And and so, and that came with a sacrifice of revenue too. So it wasn't just um, like a nice to do thing. It actually came with a, you know, we're going to sacrifice some money because we believe in this concept. So start there, like a demonstrated act that is still remembered by all the employees uh, today. The thing that it did more than anything else is energize the employee base. And it it then started percolating throughout the whole organization. And it became clear to everybody that you could have a successful career at CVS by taking an action in your area committed, connected to the purpose. And so all of a sudden it, it becomes it, I, I don't know, diffuse makes it sound like less powerful, but it's actually across the, throughout the whole organization, which is really important. And then the, of course, the CEO owning it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, and, you know, repeating it at every um, town hall kind of meeting. And then how is it reflected in the conversations you have at your end reviews and, and what are you doing? Uh, to to do this. And, you know, I think that that leads to a lot of really interesting conversations. You know, there's a lot of things that you say about a purpose that people will uh, feel are hard to do because they have to deliver numbers. Mm -hmm. And the question is, why does it have to be or? Yeah. Can it be and? So when you do these reviews of your people and you, how do you do it? What's your advice for others? Is it a discussion about how the purpose has come to life in their work plan in their activities and their behavior? Is there a quantitative measure? I mean, what, what's your learning about accountability? Yeah, well, I think in a lot of areas, you, 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 there, there are ideas already on how that particular part of the organization could deliver on the purpose. It's not like there's a lack of ideas. I think what's happened is that a lot of them are stalled for real reasons of prioritization, impact, how to manage it, how to do it. And so the the, as a leader, your job is to help that person figure out how to make that happen because they're not easy. They're not easy moves. And so, you know, there are other things that we've done, for example, in the front of our store where there are other products that we decided to stop selling or different things we did with them um, in beauty. But the question is helping that leader work through, well, if you stop selling this, how would you make up the revenue and how would you do that? And do we think we can do that and helping them with ideas? So I don't think it's the lack of ideas. I think it's the uh, inc- the encouragement of courage and the removal of barriers to get those ideas done. Yeah. I don't always hear that there's uh, no lack of ideas from some of your colleagues and some of the companies that I work with. Sometimes it is hard to tease out the ideas. What is it about your culture or how you and your colleagues lead that has this abundance of ideas that's a matter of sort of picking them and choosing the priorities? And you know, what is it that generates so many ideas? Well, I think part of it is the territory for sure. Health is something we can all relate to. Um, and, uh, and I don't think there's anybody who's going to say the way health works today is great or perfect, right? So yeah. there are personal pain points that we all experience or our parents experience or others experience. And there are things that you can identify in a company, in any company that are inconsistent with the purpose. Sometimes they're small and they don't really matter. And sometimes they're bigger. Tobacco would have been an example of something that was bigger. And, you know, I think the, if you ask, what is it about? the leadership style, one of the things that I've really learned at CVS is not to ask, can we do this? But to ask what would have to be true for this to happen and to focus on how do you make those things true? And it's just a very different way to come at it because, you know, you, you, you were a senior person at a big company there are lots of things that are hard to do. And so it's mm-hmm. easy to say we can't do it. So I think if you refocus how do, how do we knock down those barriers, it makes a big difference. You talked about the tobacco decision being a real symbolic act, you know, six years ago. Is there, that's been well covered. Is there anything about that story that hasn't been widely shared that you think is particularly helpful and insightful? Well, I think... One thing that I thought was really interesting um, is that the senior leadership was pretty convinced the stock was going to go down when that was announced. 
because you'd have a bunch of financial analysts. You know, they do the cash flow. They figure out, oh, you have less cash flow coming in. Therefore, the discounted value is worth less. And so the stock should go down. And it went up. And that's just interesting to me. And I, you know, it has to do in my mind with two things. One is um, everybody could connect to that story. Everybody knew somebody who was affected by lung cancer. And in that was the second thing, which is they could feel, while they couldn't quantify it, they could feel the power of that idea. And and so they just felt like that is going to differentiate this company. And, uh, and so that, I think that's just an interesting part of the story because, um, it, it was nice that it happened. It wasn't expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your story, when you tell it, and I heard you tell it at the A&A several weeks ago, it feels so tidy and neat and perfect <laughs> and a, a great story of purpose driving business. They're never that way. So I'd like you to reflect upon yeah. your current toughest challenge in yeah. keeping this evolving. Uh, you know, Jim, it's really, it's, it's funny. To say. I, I tell people it's, it's a great story. Well told, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we don't spend all the time saying what were the endless numbers of meetings about this? How did it uh, not happen for years and get something done? And those are the realities. And, you know, I think in the business of marketing, I've learned that two qualities might, uh, generate success above all else, and they are resiliency and tenacity, and and so they they, they make a big difference. Um, our our toughest challenge um, at the moment is uh, is transitioning business models and businesses. You know, we we have these business units. You know, we have the insurance and that, know the stores and CVS, the minute clinics, all these things. And where we're going is to find an, a, a way to drive integration across these that creates new solutions that make health easier for people in the country. And that's just a very different way of coming at things. If you look at most businesses, the biggest opportunities are almost always across lines of business because there's people in lines of business who work on that every day. But it takes a very different mindset. And, uh, and kind of organizational culture and structure to get through that. And inevitably, you're doing something that hasn't existed before, which in some ways, as marketers, we're more comfortable with because that's what creating creative is. It's creating something that hasn't been there, taking a risk. Uh, but I think when you have large operational companies, that sense, you know, it's, it's kind of how does that, that feels, it gets to feel uncomfortable, and yet it's the right way to go. Uh, and so I'd say, you know, you've got a lot of paradigms in your head and people have agreement about where to go, but it's actually getting there can, can it's change management in a way, you know, it take, it's hard, it's hard to get there. I'd also say that as you, as you look at any company, you know, and I talked about this in my A&A talk, I, do you think they go through a few different stages of growth, but the last stage in general tends to be about driving out operational efficiencies. And that's actually a fine stage of growth. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that the challenge is that that, that creates an analytic operational mindset, which is valuable for any company to have. But when you then say, how do I create the next generation of growth against customer needs, which requires uh, innovation, you have to figure out how do you enable that in a culture that's become dominated by analytics. And I say that having spent a lot of time in analytics in my career. So I, I, I'm not afraid of analytics. I, I like it. But it does change something in, in, um, in your culture, and you've got to figure out a way to get through that. I just finished reading a book called When More Is Not Better by mm -hmm. Roger Martin, who is the dean at the Rotman School in Toronto. And it's exactly about that point. We, we overly focus on efficiency, and we sacrifice innovation, focus on the customer. And so he talked about the implications of that mindset on education, on politics, on business. So... It's a fabulous book, bright yellow covered. I'd highly recommend it, but it, it, it yeah, really talks good. about that issue. And, and the other thing that it does at the operational stage is it actually takes your focus inward. And, and so then when you talk about customer-led growth, it's a cultural difference to say, well, here's what people need and how do we deliver on that? And sometimes that can be hard to get through when the person next to you is saying, well, if I tweak this dial, this amount of money is going to show up to the bottom line. 
And that, that just feels like more attractive in a way than this ambiguous thing over here. And so I think companies have to wrestle through that. And how do, how do they really get there to drive the right innovation on customer needs? We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website. And then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now, you've been in the center of COVID, of course, more than most. I mean, we've all been in the center of it, and we're now 10, 11, nine months into it, whatever. You're going to be in the center of the vaccines and delivery of that. Could you talk about what you're most proud of in your organization vis-a-vis your purpose and how yeah. you've how you've helped people during COVID? I mean, it's it, it has felt... Obviously, COVID's really hard on a lot of people and, and particularly hard on those who have had the, the virus. Uh, it has felt really good to be in a company that's participant in this war uh, and to be fighting and to feel like sometimes I think people feel helpless, like it's all happening to them and they want to feel like they can do something. So it's felt really good that we can do something. So we, we you know, I'm really proud of the, the, uh, um, Testing that we've done, we're the, you know doing over seventy percent of all the retail testing in the country. It's uh, it, it's really a testament to the operational sophistication of this company when you can do that amount of stuff and while you're doing all your other business. By the way, and as the vaccines co- are coming up, we're going to be a lead player uh, in that. And um, you know, wow, we just feel like we're like I came to CVS to change healthcare in America. That's why I came. And I feel like we may not be changing healthcare in America, but we're affecting the healthcare of America with what we're doing. And that, and that makes me feel really proud. Could you talk a little bit about that, changing healthcare in America and your, your impetus to join CVS? Could you tell that story? Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you look at the healthcare system, it, it's actually, it's built around episodic care. Uh, you know, and that, you know, you, you get, you get hurt, you break your leg, if cancer, something like this, you, you go to uh, a provider and it's generated incredible innovations for things that are episodic care. Uh, and But the other thing that it's done is it's revolved healthcare around the needs of the practitioner, the academics, and the hospitals. And what we have today is that the biggest healthcare needs in America are not episodic care. They are chronic problems. If you look at the top five uh, by volume, prescription medications that get deployed, they're all chronic conditions, a high blood pressure, high cholesterol, anxiety, depression, these things, they're, they're ongoing management of chronic conditions. And so what we have at, in America is a system built for really sophisticated things that is simply too expensive to manage the biggest healthcare needs we have in America. And so when you think about where CVS is, it has relationships, it has a trusted brand, it has convenient locations. And I ha- felt at the time, and I still feel now, that we're just in a position to have an impact on what the top needs in healthcare are, and thereby make people a little bit healthier and reduce the cost to the country, which has impacts, of course, to taxes and all kinds of things that, that are good for the country. I mean, we just simply cannot keep going in the way that we have been going. We need a different approach to the biggest healthcare needs in the country, which are chronic conditions, not episodic conditions. And by the way, that doesn't mean that providers aren't important. They're all important. We just need an adjunct to that to, to manage the pieces that don't require the intuitive knowledge of a provider. So, Norm, I want you to talk a bit more about that. Was this something that has always been personal to you? Did you go out seeking a way to bring this personal purpose to life? You were at, you were at Digitas at the time. You were at a marketing and technology company. So did... Did you go out looking for this? Did, did it did it happen? Did someone call you? Did yeah, you meet? I mean, yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Did Helena meet you? I mean, what? I get I get the need you're filling and the the incredible purpose you have and the incredible impact your company is making and why you'd want to be a part of that. But what was the catalyst? Why is why was this so personal to you? 
I think it was the, I think I was attracted to the power of the idea, just to be really honest. So I, I had worked for my entire career in professional services. I'd seen a tremendous number of companies out there and they all have good aspects to them. But there were few, if any, that I felt like people need this and you can make a real difference. And when I met Helena, that's the discussion we had. And that is what set me down the path. And I, I, I just think you can get really inspired by that idea. You know, and, and like I said, you can get inspired by the ideas and power of a lot of companies. This one meant a lot to me. and. You know, I, I think when you, um, I talked a little bit about this, but you know, my, well, you know, my, my father died of lung cancer when I was, when I was a kid, it wasn't really about lung cancer and stuff like that, but it was about the idea of, can you the, think about the impact you can have if you can keep these families together for longer? I mean, it's, that's an emotional impact. I mean, people can see the graduation that they wouldn't see otherwise. They can see the grandkids they wouldn't see otherwise. I mean, you know, you can get there pretty quickly. It's like a, it's a powerful yeah. idea. Yeah. Now, you talked a few minutes ago about the importance of your CEO being all in and how he has talked about the purpose, lived it. Uh, and you're about to have a transition to a new CEO. You're going from Larry to Karen, I think, in February. This is a stumbling block for a lot of companies. If the purpose isn't really built into their way of doing business and their ecosystem and their rewards, and it obviously is with you. But I just want you to talk about that transition to CEO. How have you helped that? How is your board? How is the leadership team? What's the role of the purpose been mm. in the transition that's going happening between Larry and Karen? It has really been central. And I say that because if you listen to um, Karen's speeches uh, since she's uh, been uh, designated as the next CEO, they're really about helping in every meaningful moment of a consumer's health journey and making a difference in their life. And she feels it to her core. I, I think for Larry, you know, I'm, I don't want to speak for him, but my sense is that time spent in a pharmacy gave him a lot of that. Probably had other experiences before that, but that certainly gave it to him. I think Karen's got her own set of personal experiences, but they're real. And I think she really does want to make a difference for people and she feels the power that you can uh, the, the the impact that you can have if you make a difference for people and um you know i just like to talk for a second about the purpose we have because i think it's something that people can take away um sometimes i see a purpose it's written um almost like a mission or a goal you know it, it's it's uh, it's it's you know, to to be the best or the finest or something like that. You know, some, some EST word. Mm -hmm. And I would just caution people against that idea because the reality is for most of your employees and for most of your constituents, that just feels unattainable. And in ours, we said helping people on their path to better health. Every single person in our company can do something that helps helps someone on their path to better health. Not, you know, and in that um, rela relatedness, there's power, uh, and everyone contributes to that. And when everybody contributes to it, you, you, you make a big difference. And the, you know, I don't think there's really anything more noble than helping others. And so, um, I would just say that idea continues along. It is driven by a belief in the power of the outcome. But that's that's just central to who we've become. I think our, our big opportunity now is how we bring it all together into new experiences across the business. You just shared a big power lesson in your journey on, on purpose-based business. Are there any others that you'd want to share before? Because I want to jump into talking a bit about your career and being a CMO. Any, if, you know, if I were to ask you to write your book, you know, what would some of those chapter titles be about purpose? This one you just shared was very powerful about the relatedness of it to all employees, the, the relevance for everyone uh, who doesn't want to help people. And yeah. so, yeah, it's a very, very one where you, it's easy to personalize. Are there other lessons you would share with our listeners? I think another one um, that some people, I think people will agree with, but I would just emphasize it is, you know, there's a bunch of talk about, um, 
consumers wanting to buy from purpose-driven brands. I, I, I don't debate that, but I think obviously, first and foremost, they want a product or service that works for what their needs are at the price that they want to pay. And so, you know, don't, don't, don't go, you know, don't skip that step <laughs> because if you skip that step, I think you look even less relevant. The second thing I would say is um, my experience has been that the power of the purpose has been more for employees than for our customers, more for changing the culture that has unleashed thereby a tremendous number of innovations along that direction than it has been for consumers or customers saying, I'm so inspired by them, I want to go um, buy from them. And so I, you know, this is, you asked me this question earlier, which was, how do you keep it going? And I would just say that there's a lot of insight in that question because that is the core. If you can keep it going with your employees, that's what will generate the success of your business. Yeah. Just to emphasize a point you make there, Norm, there's a, I, I partner with a company that has a massive database that looks at purpose activation, brand equity, its correlation with results. And they found that the companies that are really nailing it on purpose, demonstrate competence yes. and empathy. Yes, yeah. Competence and empathy. If you do those together, guided by a purpose, then watch out. That's the answer. That, yeah. that is really the answer. And you, and you can't just have empathy. You have to have competence and empathy. Yeah. yeah. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, I want to flip back on your career, Norm, and I want to uh, talk about, you know, you went to business school at Booth. You came out, you did a little bit of consulting. Then you had a big slug of your life. Uh, at Digitas, yeah. which you know is a an agency of P&G, a marketing and technology agency, and then you've been at CVS Health about five years. I want you to. You've already talked about this, but I'd like you to to talk a bit more about that transition. I mean, you were at a senior level at Digitas, mm -hmm. but that's you know jumping from that kind of job to this one is a big yeah. leap. Yeah, that's right. So tell us. Tell us about that leap. Were you ready or not? What sorts of things did you do to help you get off to a good start? Mm -hmm. So yeah. take us back to that time, because so many people face that same sort of transition at some point in their life. Yeah. And let me, uh, let me start by going back to after I got out of business school. I went into consulting. It was a spinoff from Bain called uh, Corporate Decisions, CDI. And uh, I was really inspired by their intellectual capital. Uh, and the whole focus of that firm was about customer-driven growth strategies. I, you know, identify your customer segments, their priorities and needs, define a business model around that to succeed. And the reason I bring that up is it has forever formed my view of what marketing's job is. It is customer-driven growth strategies and execution, right? It, that, that is what we do. Sometimes we are informing product developers. Uh, through insights and the voice of the customer. Sometimes we are driving it through communications and other techniques, but that is our goal. And I don't think you should ever lose sight of that. And so when I went to Digitas, that was, um, at the time, it was about the merger of consulting and agency together. And that's why I was attracted to it because customer-driven growth strategies combined with the power of what was happening with digital, more connected consumers, what's happening out there. I just was thought that was a really terrific idea. And as you said, did a lot of things there and ended up at a senior level. When I thought about CVS, there were a couple of things that uh, I was really attracted to. One was the culture. Uh, and it's, I think that that is just so critical to any move. And it was a culture of authenticity. It's a culture of, I call it humbition, uh, humble ambition. Uh, so, you know, uh, no ego, but, uh, but we're also never satisfied. So keep moving forward. Um, collaboration, caring, all that sort of stuff. And so I, I really did like that culture uh, a, a lot. And then um, I liked uh, the ability to actually control the decisions for customer-driven growth strategies, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to be the advisor, another thing to make the decisions. And so that, that's what got me attracted. So then 
you know, I, I was interested in the position and we talked about how I got inspired by the opportunity to impact healthcare in America. And, uh, and I made the leap and I came in to, uh, to CVS and, you know, it, it took easily a year for me to, uh, to, to kind of really get my legs completely under me. It, it was just, as you say, a very different job. And I, and, and I think, you know, if I was to able to compare and contrast uh, life on the agency side versus life on the marketing side. I think on the agency side, you're so focused on the things you do for that agency. And on the marketing, and what you don't realize is that on the marketing side, you're like 10% of the mind share of that person <laughs> you're talking yeah. to. And, and there's just, and it's not because they don't think it's important. It's just that there's a much, there's a whole lot else going on. What I also liked on the marketing side was just the the scope of levers you have to achieve the the outcomes that 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 you want. But I will say that in the first year of my tenure at CVS, I probably drew more on my time, my knowledge and skill sets from management consulting than I did from my knowledge and skill sets in advertising. Both are important. I'm not saying advertising is not important. It obviously is very important. But in the CVS organization, and I think this is probably different in different organizations, you, you know, you're, if you don't speak the language of business first and then demonstrate how marketing can deliver on those objectives, it will be very hard for you to gain traction. And so what you really had to do is say, we want to grow. Here are the opportunities we have to grow. Here's the insights. Let me give you some confidence that these things can help us grow and kind of build it from there. Whereas if I went straight into advertising opportunities, I think um, you just wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be speaking the same language. And so I, I think it's just really important for people in marketing in any organization. And CPG might be a little bit different, um, but to make sure that the, the position that they're owning in the heads of the other executives is not just of the advertising person. It is of the person that can help drive customer-driven growth. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that's easy because people see it. And sometimes it's hard because people don't know a lot about what marketing do. And the thing they know is the thing they see every day, which is the advertising. And so they think that that's what you do. But I, I just don't think if you focus on your goals, build a brand, um, you know, drive sales that you'll be as effective if you just focus on the advertising. Yeah, there's a lot of recent research, as you probably know from the ANA and your in your seat on that board. That the one thing that trips up most CMOs is they don't have a good relationship with the CFO and they don't really start with a language of business, what the company's trying to do, what the company's goals, objectives, mm-hmm. purpose are, and what their role is in bringing that to life. The successful CMOs get that. They execute it, great relationship with the CFO, and it's all about building a wonderful organization, brand, and company that it delights is. people. I, I, would, I would just say uh, the, the, the reality is that it's not always easy either. Like a, 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 a marketer could have that, but I think sometimes others in the executive team fear that if you think that way or perceive that way, you're going to take work or power away from them. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I, I one of the things there's a great TED talk if if you haven't um, listened to it called the danger of a single story, and uh, I think that in my career one of the things I've noticed is that people like to position others in a single story because it's to their advantage, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yep. and so so I think you've got to really focus. You you might have all the right intentions, but I think it's the question of how are you working with others to not be a single story, to actually be perceived differently. I noticed on Twitter that you're a fan, you say this, a fan of creativity, innovation, and empathy. Yeah. So how does that come to life in how you lead and how you avoid having a single story? Yeah, yeah. Um, I lead with high expectations and kindness. Uh, and I think that both are needed to get to the best results. There is no question. I want to be the best at what we do and I want our people to be the best. I am competitive and I want to get there. And I believe that the way to get there is to treat people with uh, kindness and empathy and help and make sure they understand you and make sure you understand them 
and so that you're getting there together because they will work hard for you and they will be inspired to do more for you. That is very different than I have high expectations and let's have a performance review about whether or not you achieved my high expectations and you know how you're not meeting my expectations. That That's not how I operate. Um, and I don't, I believe that that can get results in the short term, but I don't believe it can get your results in the longer term. Um, and so it actually, what, what I've seen is that it generates not only high performing individuals and a strong leadership team, it also generates um, really close relationships with your business partners because they see that you listen to them and that you care about them and that you're going to get there. And so if you put those two together, it, it, it makes a big difference. And um, you know, I don't think it's, it's not a new idea, but it is just core to who I am and who I, how I operate. So Norm, what do you do as CMO at CVS Health and how is it different from what you did when you joined five years ago? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, I think when I came, uh, the easy part is when I came five years ago, uh, there was just, uh, I, in my mind, a lot of opportunity from what I'd seen other marketers doing in the marketplace that we could just build up. And so that, you know, that's kind of, um, th- and we've proven that out. We've built that, I, I would just say kind of core blocking and tackling of marketing that, that was possible. And so, so we've built that up. Now, my job is much more at the executive level, like what is the voice of the customer? Where should we be headed? How will that deliver on things? How are we making sure people understand who we are? Of course, there's sales objectives and there's uh, all that sort of stuff too, which I love because I, I think um, goals create creativity. But it's, it's, much, it's a little bit more about guidance and barrier removal uh, and enabling than it is about uh, building and doing. You talked about kindness, high expectations. Is that your strength as a leader, living that? And if it is, you know, tell us if not, if it's something else. And I'd also like to know something you're still working on as a leader. Um, you know, uh, I'm the, I'm the first in the, uh, to grow up in my family outside the Netherlands. And if you know the Dutch, they can, mm-hmm. they're, 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 they're known as a, well, I tell my wife, the Dutch are smart, uh, and stubborn. And I'm at least one of those things, so, <laughs> uh, but they're also very direct. And I try to tell people what I'm thinking not in a um not in a condemning way but actually just in, a, in, a, in an open way so that we can have open authentic conversations and get traction quickly i'm fine i i have no passion to hold on to my own idea i have a passion for the best answer and so maybe my secret power is actually more than i'm willing to forego my particular solution to get to the right answer and i'm focused on that than i am focused on getting my solution uh, at the door, which which means that you listen to every conversation with the belief that it might give you a better answer, and I think that that's then felt, and, and the team the team kind of uh, uh, can feel that as well, and so so that's um, that's really important. And then um, uh, the thing that I'm still working on is uh, making sure that I'm having uh, the the impact I want to have. Across an organization that is now the fifth largest company in the country, uh, and and that is complex. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's a little bit of like constantly learning about how to do that. Uh, and as that organism evolves, how do you have your right role in that to evolve uh, as well? And um, you know, that's 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 a journey for me. Yeah, I think. Anyone who's at your level in a major enterprise, that's a challenge. Do you have any, uh, any counsel on that and anything you're especially learning? Is it about constantly meeting people, understanding what their objectives are in the business units that make up your company now? What, what are your practices or rituals to do that better? I do think that the human connection and the intuition you gather from that human connection is really important. And so the more you can do that, the better. I also think that to our discussion, the idea of demonstrating that you've heard people, like literally, you know, active listening. Here's what I hear you saying, you know, kind of very, I hear you and I'm reflecting that. And at the same time, uh, sticking to your uh, guns when you believe you have the right idea with some sort of tenacity is uh, is really helpful. And And one of the things that I've realized is um, good ideas 
will survive. Don't get discouraged if in your first discussion about them, they don't go a lot of places. Stick with it. It, it will come around, you know, like you've been thinking about it a lot longer than some other people. And uh, and I've have I've seen evidence of that. So I, I think what I encourage my team is to stick with it. It's, you know, not a bad idea. It's just maybe not right now and we'll get there. Could you share what the most important capability is in CVS health marketing, something you can never, ever get complacent on, never, ever lose? And perhaps one capability that you're really working to build. In the marketing, I think, well, and I don't want to go to relevance. It's kind of the simple, like, of course, it's relevant. You know, um, I think for us, it's actually uh, how are we relevant in a different, in a differentiated way? I, I think people feel like they know CVS. And so, uh, and it's the store that they see all the time. And we want them to understand us in a different way. And so we have to drive stuff around the store and we want them to see us in a different way. And so the question is, what's really important for us is how does that different way come out in a consistent way? Because there's so many teams doing so many different pieces of marketing with different objectives. You have to have one idea that kind of flows through everything or you're going to, um, it's just going to feel like pieces uh, everywhere. And that, that is something that we're still working on, uh, as, as well. It's, um, you know, it's actually, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a mathematical issue in a way. If you have, if you kind of think about all a hierarchy and all these different lines of business and all these different people, and they all have objectives, if you start to solve for all the individual objectives at the bottom, you actually don't have the, the, the business maximizing approach that you would at the top. And, and so you kind of have to think about how do you deliver on the bottom, but not end up in a place that is completely fragmented and just delivering uh, in individual places. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, uh, I want to get your perspective on an industry issue that we've already sort of danced around and then jump into the lightning round, uh, which I'm looking forward to. If you could wave a magic wand and you're a very big company, so you have an influence in this, what would change about healthcare marketing? You know, as a consumer, I think so much that I see in healthcare advertising, communication marketing is pretty bad. Yeah. And it's the most important industry in the world, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So we have the most important industry in the world that spends a lot of money, mm-hmm. who I think does pretty bad marketing on average. Mm-hmm. So you have a really interesting window into this. If you could wave your wand, what, what could we do to make it better? Well, it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of regulations that are driving that. Uh, perception and belief, which is, which is right, you know, I, I think. Um, and so sometimes those regulations are very good. Uh, so people understand, uh, but sometimes they're just creating uh, something that's just not very interesting or very helpful or very known to people. I, I think that if we take, pull back a little bit where healthcare marketing broadly defined needs to spend more of its time focusing is a little bit less in the advertising and a little bit more in making the experience better. And, you know, if you kind of, my my belief in brands today is that they're built 75% out of experience. And so if your job as the CMO is to build the brand, why would you ignore the 75% variable, right? And so I, I would say, like, let's focus on making the experience better and then communicating how that experience is better. There's just going to be a lot more power in that. Interesting to say that. We had a previous guest on the podcast, Alex Von Plato, who is the CEO of Publicist Health, and uh, she said exactly that. Mm. Let's yeah. work, work on the experience. You know, and really unpacking that, making it better. We have so much. We all can have a role in that in the healthcare system. And you know, it's interesting. An interesting example, by the way. I, I think, in a way, the auto insurance industry's insurance, but they've done a nice job uh, making the experience a lot better. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't really know anybody who likes to think about auto insurance until they have a claim. But the claim experience is pretty good, and so you know, I, I, there might be lessons from there that we can take. It's a good thought. It's a good thought. A lot of creativity in that industry. I have to give them that. Oh, sure. A lot of creative thinking. Okay, Norm, let's go into the lightning round. The first question I have for you is, 
What are your health and fitness routines as the CMO of the largest health company in the United States? Yeah, good question. I bike. I bike uh, probably 50 plus miles a week uh, and um, do it through the winter when I can uh, and keep going. So that that's kind of my, my uh, release. I also meditate. Uh, I used to do it more, to be honest, but I still do it. And it is, I, for those of you who haven't done it, you can within 60 seconds feel your face relax. And, and when you feel that, you you know that there's something going on. And so I, I would say I, I recommend that and kind of just focus on the here and now for a second and not the past or the future. Do you use an app or do you just do a mantra or focus on something? I used to use Headspace. Mm -hmm. uh, now I just do it on my own. Um, you know, after a while, you kind of yeah. you know the routine. Yeah, yeah. So you're vocal on Twitter on a number of areas, but customer service is one. We just talked about the auto industry. Who do you admire for customer service? Who could be an inspiration for this area we just talked about, customer experience? Well, I'm going to tell you one that I just had a recent experience with, which was in the auto insurance business. But I, I have to say, I think Geico's done a really interesting job. I do use them for my insurance. Uh, I'll be honest, my perspective was, you know, it's cheap, so the service probably isn't good. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that when we have to. Uh, I had to use it. The service was exceptional. And so now here I am thinking, well, cheap and bad service don't have to go together. Cheap and except exceptional service can go together. And uh, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned in how easy they made what what you enter into as a uh, with some anxiety, a process you enter into with some anxiety and, and fear. So I think they're really good. Uh, the you know, the um, the. I mean, the airline business has been through, let's just skip the last year. <laughs> Before yeah. that, I feel like Delta's done a really nice job of really understanding all the moments in the travel journey. And in my mind, they're almost like uh, the Lexus of, uh, uh, of air travel. Everything works. Everything works well. Uh, it's there when I expect them. And um, I think I'm treated well. And, and I, you know, that's another one where Listen, commoditized, hyper-competitive industry where you could easily forego investments in customer experience because, like, what's the ROI on this and I got to deliver earnings? And somehow they did it and, uh, and they've done it really, really well. And so, and whereas like a JetBlue or, or a Southwest have very unique cultures built, built by founders, Delta's been around a long time. It could have just easily been a nobody. And for me, it really uh, got to a really, really good place. So I've always been impressed with them. I was on a webinar in the last few weeks with their CEO, and I asked him a question about uh, his people, and he just went on and on and on about the people being the brand, things yeah. they're doing during COVID uh, to help their employees out in these very, very difficult times, options they've given them, uh, to, you know, how do they spend their time? Do they want to take a furlough or not? So he tried to empower his people. And yeah. ask them what they would like to do, but it's all about the organization. So it, it starts at the top. I think they're a, a remarkable organization as well. And, uh, and the CEO really does. He's very in touch with his people. I have a belief. It's funny you said that. I have a belief that if you take someone and help them feel like they're a bit empowered and ha are a participant in what's happening to them, that great things can happen. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you if you have kind of a highly engineered system where you're treating a human as kind of a substitute for a computer program and telling them what to do, I think you, you just don't get as much from them. Norm, what are you listening to these days, watching, reading that's inspiring to you? I uh, I do think that the uh, that the uh, the Scott Galloway uh, you know Kara Swisher um, podcast is really really good. The Dailies are great podcasts, and you know these are things that have kind of survived my uh, my movement out of my car into my house all day long. So the commute from my bedroom to my office is very short, but yeah. I still listen to them, which is which is really good. Uh, I I've been reading uh, Reed Hastings' book on the history of Netflix, which I think is really interesting, and I and I think there's a degree of authenticity in there. That is really, um, really interesting as well. You know, everybody talks about the great HR policy and culture of Netflix, but he's very he's very open about what he thought that was was going to happen with that at the beginning. And it was he wasn't he wasn't confident. Uh, but the lessons he's learned, and I, I, I think that that's a really interesting book for people to to read. So, who's the greatest inspiration in your life? It's hard to point to a single individual, but there are certain things that people have done in my life that I use every day as 
as kind of a, an operating manual going forward. Um, you know, I'd, I'd point to uh, my wife who taught early uh, early childhood education and some of the ways she would speak to her students are ways I use today to speak to people. And I think it's, you know, for example, uh, you can say, hey, I'm not upset with you. I'm upset with your behavior. And separating the identity from the action is a, is a really interesting one, praising positive behavior. So I think that that's really good. There are other ones uh, from uh, particular individuals that is a, a kind of a mantra of my life, which is you can only move forward. And what you do tomorrow is more important than what you did today. You have a good day. That's terrific. Do it again tomorrow. You have a bad day tomorrow. All you got to think about is tomorrow. And so I think that those things are good. And then, you know, this idea of high expectations and kindness came from somebody. And so I think that it's hard to point to a single individual, but I have taken pieces from certain people and they put them together into how I operate my life in a successful way. I love that thought, Norm. And I have to say, reflecting on my own inspirations in my life, I'd have to say it is a composite, absolutely yeah. a composite. So now I know you love to travel. What's your first place to travel when we're all traveling again? Well, uh, I just want to take, the, I want to take the kids to Europe. You know, I want them to have the experience. I want them to see things that they've never seen before, have uh, hear languages that they've never heard before, understand that they're not the center of the universe that, you know, they, 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 and, uh, I, I think that's what my, my real desire is just to see their faces and their, you know, and see their brains learn and, and understand that. So we're working on the right uh, location. Uh, but, um, but that's what, that's the plan for next summer. And by the way, let me just give a piece of advice to everybody plan your summer vacation now, because I believe that 2021 is going to be an incredible year. We're going to have a very tough first quarter. And after that, if the vaccine keeps going the way it, it, it is, I think everything's going to open up. And what does everybody really want to do? They want to go out to eat. They want to have their family over and they want to take a trip, right? Yeah. And so it's good it advice. Is going to book up fast. It's good advice. Who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? Do you know, you, you must know Mark DeSwan Aarons. Yeah, I do. I think he's a really interesting person um, with, with a lot of experience. I think he's really good. I also, Jim, I, I don't know if you, you may have already had him on, but I, my, one of my business heroes is Paul Pullman. And I think what's interesting about him is, um, is just how he built business success and having a positive impact on society together and that they don't have to be exclusive. And, you know, you know, his background, but, you know, it's, you don't generally find that coming out of the, the finance side of, 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 of companies. And I think he just had a really successful, it was just very successful. I think it's a very powerful example for a lot of CEOs who, who worry that this stuff sounds like, um, you know, marketing speed. It's a great idea. And you know, he worked at PNG for 25 years and I oh, knew, right, yeah. I knew him early in his career very well. Uh, I was in Europe with him when, when I worked there and he's, uh, it's a great idea. I'll ask him. Well, and he just inspires you to think bigger. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, he, I think he has a great, he's a great point. You know, like people say it's hard. And he's like, hard. You're like, you're born into the luckiest humans in the world. Like, you know, how is this so hard? Yeah. He's always about moving forward to your point a few minutes yeah. ago. Yeah. The issue, we'd have to do a two hour episode because he has so much energy. It would have I, to be a two hour episode. Is that right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh yeah, he does. Which is a, one, one of his super, super skills. Uh, last word, yours, Norm. Anything for me? Jim, I think you, I just want to say, I think that you are doing a lot for the industry because you're bringing uh, the, the success of a senior executive at one of the biggest companies in um, the world, together with how to think about marketing and purpose in, in, in a new era. And so, um, you know, you, you've been kind to me and encouraging to me. Uh, I've also been in seminars where you and your team have helped people find out what they're about. And it's, 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 it's rigorous, thoughtful stuff. And so I would just say thank you for what you're doing. Uh, and thank you for having me on. Thanks, Norm. We'll, we'll keep it up. That's, thanks for the encouragement. And this has been a, a, just a fabulous conversation. So thanks for being so generous and kind. And I, I had a high expectations coming in, and you nailed them. Oh, you're so kind. You're nice. That's great. Thanks, Jim. That was my conversation with Norm DeGrev. What I found very personally relevant in this interview was Norm speaking about 
how he started up in his job as CMO of CVS Health. He said it took him about a year to get his legs. Every time I took a massive leap in terms of responsibility in my career, my wife always used to tell me it was hard to talk to me for six to 12 months because I was trying to get my legs. This was a seminar on brand purpose and the best practice in bringing brand purpose to life in your organization. Norm's story is about as good as it gets. If you're trying to bring purpose to life in your organization, listen to this again. The leadership lesson in this one, which I will carry forward, kindness and high expectations. When you combine those two, magical things happen. Think big, expect a lot, but be kind in how you work with people. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.